You should have, uh, as you came in this morning on your chair, uh, received a commitment card for Kingdom Builders. We're going to restart, uh, start receiving these today. Uh, if you're not sure, does it look like this? Here's mine all filled out. If you're not sure um, what God wants you to do, that's okay. You've got a few more weeks. Really, the giving doesn't start until January. And uh, so we're just asking the Lord. Our project list is uh, somewhere all together in the $350,000 range that we'd like to give away uh, to, to missionaries and local missions and church plants and all kinds of wonderful things. Um, you should, you know, over the last several weeks, we've distributed that list. And so it looks like this. If you don't have it or haven't, haven't seen it or missed it somehow, one, it'll be online but you can also pick one up at the Main Street Theater, and they'll be glad to help you with that. Um, so I just mentioned that. I'll say more about commitments here in a little while. Um, but I want to get into the message this morning, and uh, believe it or not, it'll be brief. I guess I don't need those for that. So about uh, 15 years ago uh, was the first time as a lead pastor that I ever felt the Lord lead me uh, to lead my church in some kind of a significant giving initiative. We, had, uh, we give to missions every year, you know, we did things like that, but this was sort of that above and beyond kind of a thing. And looking back now, I think it had much more to do with me and, and Amy than it had to do with my church. How many of you know the first time God asks you to do something crazy as part of a process, it's usually about you stretching your faith and figuring out what you actually trust God for? You ever discovered that? So I, we made a commitment to this campaign um, that equaled to about one-third of our yearly income. That was stupid, you know? Like, like that's almost how I knew it was God because it made no sense. It was like, that's crazy, God. I, I, the, what, what are we going to do about that, you know? I didn't go home and work on my budget to see what I could afford. Uh, the number the Lord gave us was just so crazy to us that we, we felt like it had to be the Lord. So I'm praying about it one day, and I'm asking God, what do I do? How do we, how do we raise this money, and how, how, how do we give so we can be faithful and honor you? And, and uh, as I'm praying about that, the Lord reminds me that I own a pretty nice pickup truck. And he says to me very clearly, Jeff, I want you to sell your pickup truck, and I want you to give that money to this project. And I said, that was not God. That, that, that was something I ate last night that could not have been the Lord. And I said to the Lord, what am I going to do for a pickup truck? <laughs> he didn't answer that question. So reluctantly, you know, I went and, I, and I, um, I put a for sale sign on it. I think I put it on Craigslist. because remember, remember Craigslist? It's dead. But nonetheless, and, uh, you know, very, very quickly, I had someone come and, and offer me, you know, just about full price for my car or for my pickup truck. And very, very sadly, I sold it and I watched it drive out of the driveway and I didn't cry, but I was close because it hurt my feelings to, to sell the pickup truck. But the next Sunday, we wrote a check and we gave all that money uh, to this project to fulfill the commitment we had made. It was an amazing moment of faith for us. It was an amazing moment uh, to see what God would do. And I was excited to see what he would do, even though in the same breath of my excitement, I was petrified of what it would mean for us. But I trusted the Lord. I love the story in Exodus 23 
about Israel getting ready to go to the promised land. And they're standing on uh, in, in the wilderness and God has come and Moses has been to the mountain and he's given them the Ten Commandments and he's trying, I mean, they've already messed it up because they worship the cow, you know, crazies. I don't know, we threw the gold in the fire and poof, out came this cow. That's what it says. And uh, that's not how it worked, but that's what Israel told God. And so now they're at the precipice of this promise that God gave to Abraham, that you're going to possess this land and I'm going to do these things. And I want, to, I want to read just quickly the promises of God that he gave them as they went to the land. It's Exodus chapter 23 in verse 20. And, and if you've come to prayer uh, at 9 o'clock, we have prayer here uh, at 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. We've prayed this passage of scripture the last several weeks, but I, I just want to read it. See, the Lord says, see, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I've prepared for you. How many of you know that's a great promise? The Lord is saying, you're not going by yourself. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to send an angel with you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. In other words, don't be stupid. That was prophetic. Don't, don't be, never mind. But if you are, care, look at the promise, if you're careful to obey him, follow all of his instructions, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies and I'll oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of your enemies so you may live there and I will destroy them completely. You must not worship the gods of these nations. Can I just reemphasize verse 24? We've got to stop worshiping the gods of America. That might have been prophetic. You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their, I mean, destroy the gods of this nation. You must serve the Lord your God. And if you do, if you serve the Lord your God, I will bless you with food and water. I'll protect you from illness. There'll be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. See, I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people whose lands you invade. I'll make all your enemies turn and run. I'll send terror ahead of you to drive out your enemies, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would multiply. I'll drive them out a little bit at a time. Verse 31, and I will fix your boundaries. Here it is, the new boundaries, this idea that God is going to push back the old boundaries and give you new boundaries. I'll fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean and from the eastern wilderness to the Euphrates. I will hand over to you all the people living in the land and you will drive them out ahead of you. Make no treaties with them or their gods. They must not live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, you will be caught in the trap of idolatry. Woo. Like that's got a lot of wonderful things in it and it's got some challenging things in it, doesn't it? And you know, if you know the story and you've looked at it in the Old Testament, you know that Israel pretty much completely and utterly failed at the promises and the, and the, and the things that the Lord asked Israel to do. They basically abandoned it all. They married foreign women, no offense to foreign women, but they married foreign women to them. They, that was a joke. Like you can marry foreign women, it's okay. Now, but Israel wasn't supposed to do that. God said, don't do it because he wanted to keep them from worshiping other gods. You with me? So Israel gave into idolatry and they didn't tear down, you know, the, the, the places of the shrines and the places of worship and it cost them everything. 
It cost them everything. For more than 2,000 years, it cost them everything. I think about this church, and I believe in this moment. I've been asking God since I got here, which is only seven months ago. If you're new here, join the club. I'm new here too. Seven months. I'm starting to kind of figure it out. And I've been asking God since, since March, why did God, why did you put this church here? Why did you plant this church in West Lafayette, Indiana? Why did you build a building where there wasn't even a road? Why did you put us here, God, in this moment for such a time as this? Why did God position this church physically, geographically, spiritually, emotionally, and connectively in this season of time with this group of people? And the, the only thing right now I'm totally convinced of is none of those things were happenstance and none of those things were accidents. What I'm convinced of is just like the promises to Israel that if we would obey the Lord, if we'll delight in the Lord, if we'll honor the Lord, if we'll live for the Lord, then God will send his angels and send his powers and send his spirit and send his presence and we'll not have an ordinary church. We'll have a supernatural church. We'll have a church that breaks down the gates of hell. We'll have a church that does the work of the kingdom of God like no other church has ever done it before. If I, I just believe with all my soul that, it, it, that this place was here, not for the 1990s, not for the 2000s. This place was here for the crazy culture we live in today, for this insane moment of history. That's why God put this church here 25 or 30 years ago. That's why. Great things have happened here. God isn't done. As I prayed more about this, in fact, I've been praying not about this church specifically, but about the next church I would pastor for several years now. I always knew that someday I'd pastor a church again. I went to our district, if you don't know, I went to our district office and I'm the director of church planning for the, for the district of Indiana, and I help do those things still today in, in our district. Uh, but I knew someday I would jump back into the pastorate, and I began, I don't know, 2017 or 2018, just asking God, God, when that happens again, what do you want me to be about? What do you want, what do you want my, my purposes or my passions or my drive? What do you want that church to be about? And God dropped four, four active missional thoughts, four active things, overarching endeavors, if you will, into my spirit so many years ago, and I believe that he dropped it into my heart, not for me and not for, certainly not for some other church out in the world, but it's for this church, for this moment, for this time. And I just wanna share with you what they are. The first one is this, prayer is our priority. Jesus said that my house would be a house of prayer. When the people of God prayed, when the first century church actually in a room called on the Lord, walls shook, chains fell off, prison doors opened, people trembled, the power of God manifested in such a powerful way in the lives of believers all around the known world, and it's because the church of the first century, the original, uh, the original, in, into, in, in, whatever that word is, the original beginning point of the church of Jesus Christ was a church that primarily prioritized prayer. They didn't have great books on Amazon that they could read and figure out how to reach their, their city. They didn't understand all the ways that they could have strategy. They didn't have kingdom builders to send missionaries. They didn't have missionaries to go all over the world. Guess who the missionaries were? It was them. And Jesus said to them on this rock, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe with everything in my soul, it was the prayers of the righteous people that accomplished, the Bible says, turned the world upside down. Nothing sets in motion the purposes of God like prayer. Nothing fashions our hearts towards his will like prayer. I mean, you want to get yourself conformed to the things of God? Start praying. And it won't take very long for the Holy Spirit to deal with you. Because I just want you to know, you're the problem. Right? Like, he's not the problem. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is not the one who's in the way of accomplishing his plan for your life. You are. I am. Prayer brings all that into focus and destroys the, the incongruencies, if you will, of our life with God. It does it in our individual lives. It will do it in our church life. Nothing pushes back darkness and defeats the enemy like prayer. I don't know if you think you can strategize your way around the powers of darkness, but friend, there's nothing that will defeat the enemy like prayer. You may as well give it up if you're gonna read a good book. Just pray and see what God does. Nothing fuels the energy and the life of a church like prayer. So, I told you last Sunday, I was gonna give you some matrix and some things we'd like to measure over the next couple of years in some of the, in these categories, and here's four of them for this idea that prayer will be our priority. Number one, I want our church to have 80 hours of prayer every week. 80 hours of prayer happening every week from the people of God. There's lots of ways we're gonna measure that. I won't spend the time explaining that to you right now. I'll tell you this, right now, we're about 50% of the way there. So here's, an, here's one easy way we can increase that number from 40 to 50 or 60 or 70 and eventually hit 80 in the next couple of years. Just show up at nine o'clock on Sunday morning where prayer's our priority and we call on God together. If you'll come and pray with me, the gates of hell will be shaken. That's just that simple. It's just that simple. If you'll come and pray with about 100 people that come right now, the gates of hell will be shaken. You won't be alone, and you're like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what. Don't worry. We're going to tell you how to pray. The disciples didn't know how to pray either, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Guess what? You want to learn how to pray so that you can translate that into your personal prayer life? You come at 9 o'clock, and we'll teach you how to pray. You will learn. 80 hours of prayer. I want to see 40% of CPCers in regular, consistent, devotional, or abiding time, spending time with God. We're going to spend time the first of the year diving into that. But here's the two that I think are, are really, really, those are really important. Don't get me wrong. But these two things, and they hinge, these two last two things hinge upon having prayer and having devotional life. I want in the next year, year and a half, for 500 people to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. 500 people. You're like, eh, meh. You should get excited about 500, but it should also scare you. I'm going to tell you that the average for this church over the last however many years has been anywhere between 15 and 40 a year. And we're going to ask him for 500. Beyond that, we're going to ask him for 250 people to be baptized in water. 250 people to make a public declaration of faith that they are going to live for God for the rest of their life. Friends, those are tall orders, and I'll tell you this, if prayer does not become our priority, we will never see those numbers happen in this church. 
But if prayer can be our priority, then there's nothing that God cannot do through us. It will not be by our might. It will not be by our power. It will not be by our schedule or our strategy. But it will be because the people of God started to pray, sacrificially pray, so that God will move in power. That's what it will take. Prayer will be our priority. Number two, if prayer is our priority, then people will be our purpose. People are our purpose. Can I just say to you that people are and always have been the focus of God's love and the object of the gospel? It's never been about a denomination or a type of church or a way of worship or anything else. It's always been about people. John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus that, that God loved the world and not the world in the ambiguous way, but he loved the people of the world so much that he sent his only son to die a sinner's death and be raised from the dead so that anybody on any continent, of any tribe, of any bloodline, anybody, anywhere in the world, even gay people, even Republicans and Democrats, the Hindus and the Muslims and the people that pray to weird things, even the atheists and the pagans, he wants everyone to come to repentance. I just want us to know as a church, people are going to be our purpose. It's always going to be about people. It's always going to be about Lafayette and West Lafayette and Benton County and the East Coast and the college campuses and the Muslims in Oman and the atheists of Europe and the pagans of Indonesia and the tribesmen of Africa and the mountain men of the Andes and the penguins of Antarctica, if that's what it takes. That was funny. It's about people. Here's the measurables that we're after. I want to see 1,000 guests come through our doors in the next couple of years. 1,000 guests come through our doors to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see 70% of the people in this church engaged in connect groups. We're, we were at 50 or 60% this last semester. I want us to push towards 70. Why? Because we can't do it alone, guys. You can't do it alone. Remember what I said? You're the greatest obstacle to the plan of God for your life, and you can't do it yourself anyway, so you might as well jump into relationship with other people. I know it's scary, and I know it's messy, but it's the way he designed it. So you can be mad at me, but it's his idea. 70%, 65% of CPCers engaged in active ministry. You need a place to serve in this church or outside of this church. Can I just say, uh, for me, serving is not just serving inside the walls. It's serving in every uh, local ministry and in the recovery cafe, and it's serving it bravely, and it's ser serving it at LUM. I don't even know what that means, but it's it, it, Lafayette Urban Ministry. It's serving in every other place in this, in this county and this area where Jesus and the God gospel or being preached to people that have not heard it, that's where I want CPC to be. Those places. Oh, and it's also serving in your workplace and in your homes and in your neighborhoods. And I want to see 75% of CPCers participating in a discipleship process, growing in their faith. Most of you, that's going to happen in connect groups, but some of you need more than that. You need a mentor. You need a coach. You need somebody to come alongside of you and walk with you because, they, because people are the purpose that we have. So let's be a church which introduces people to the gospel. Let's be a church which focuses on people's souls instead of what they look like, smell like, what their hangups are, what their pet sin is, and where they came from. 
Let's love people, not their politics or their attitudes or their edginess. Let's make people our purpose because it's the purpose of God. Third thing I want you to want to mention about the mission God has put us on is this, his presence. His presence, friends, is our pursuit. His presence is our pursuit. Why? Because when the presence of God is active in our every moment and in our gatherings, transformation becomes possible. Can I just say I don't subscribe to the idea that you're just always going to have these things in your life that hang you up and hold you back. I believe in a God who transforms. I believe in a God who takes an addiction and cuts it off and sets you free. I believe in a God who, who for your whole life you've had one way of thinking, but God comes in and transforms and renews your mind, and now you're a totally different person than you used to be. I believe in a God who transforms family trees because I've seen it in my own family tree. He's a transformational God. He's not just a feel-good God. He's not just a God that wants to meet with you and make you feel good about your life. He wants to transform you. How does transformation happen? It happens in the atmosphere. It happens when the presence of God fills the room. I think of Acts 2-4. In that moment when the Holy Spirit filled the room and those men and women were transformed by the power of God, the whole world, that was the day that the world was turned upside down. It took a few more years to see it all, but that was the day that it began. I think of Paul and Silas in Acts 16 as they were in prison worshiping the Lord. Can I just say, why did the prison doors open and the chains fall off? It's because of the presence of the Lord in the room. Because they changed the atmosphere. Can I just say to some of you, you need to change the atmosphere of your life. You need to shift the atmosphere of your life. It's time to stop being doldrum and despair and broken and unvictorious as a believer. You are all things in Christ. I'm preaching today. You're all things in Christ, so stop it. Change the atmosphere of your life. Change the, you don't like your home life? Change the atmosphere, friends. How does it happen? The presence of God changes everything. Let's be a church of his presence. What are the measurables? This is one I love. I want 125 people baptized in the Holy Spirit in the next 12 to 18 months. 120, you ought to get excited about that. 125 people baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to see, I don't know how to measure this, but we're going to try. 500 people transformed, healed, delivered, family trees altered forever. 500 lives transformed by the power of God. I don't quite know how to measure transformation. Healing is obvious. Deliverance is obvious. Some of those other things are a bit ambiguous, but I'm trusting God for 500 transformations. In every worship service, every connect group, every leadership meeting, every board meeting, my board guys, every time two or three of us are together, I don't care if you're just meeting at Cheddar's to have dinner with some friends. Let his presence saturate our lives. Why? Because his mission is our passion. I don't want to spend my life succeeding at something that won't matter. I'll say that again for you in the back. 
I don't want to spend my life succeeding at something that's not eternal. Do you? Do you want to spend your life doing some nice things, complaining about the things you don't like, and arrive safely at death? I want to risk it all for his mission. I'm not saying there's not a cost to it. I'm not saying there's not pain in the mission, pain in the offering, pain in the sacrifice, because there is. But I'm telling you, when we get to the other side, we will not wish we had done less for God. We will, we will regret that we had not done all that he gave for us to do. That's what we'll regret. He's got everything for us. This is a global mission. Oh, I should read the, the statement. His mission is our passion. We will participate in taking the gospel to those far from God in our neighborhoods, our city, our region, our nation, and the world. This is a global mission. It goes to every, every country of the world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And guys, if it doesn't, until, or I should say until it does, he won't return. You all thinking he's coming back next Tuesday. It's not in every tribe yet. 40% of the world still has never heard his name. He's not coming back yet. Stop watching the YouTube prophets. They're wrong. And too many Christians are sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back instead of being active in the harvest. Because until his mission is fulfilled, he's not coming. Guess what? His mission doesn't depend on the person sitting next to you, or the person in the balcony, the person watching online, or some missionary in Morocco. It depends on you. His mission doesn't happen unless all of us get in the field, unless all of us begin to work. It's a global mission, but it's also a local mission. Tippecanoe County has 100 and 80,000 people, give or take. Depends on if Purdue's in session or not. Can I say to you, 70% have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to Morocco or Nicaragua or Peru or Panama or Mexico or Africa or Asia or Antarctica. You don't have to go anywhere else to find harvest fields that are ripe for harvest. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. We should pray for our missionaries and we should give to our missionaries and we should go ourselves. We should spend time doing those things. Those are good quality, holy things to do. But friends, we can't forget about here. This is our first harvest field. What do I want to see? 75% of CPCers active in the harvest field. You got an opportunity this Christmas to be active. In, I mean, you got an opportunity every day of your life, right? But you got an opportunity this Christmas. Some of you have never done it before. That's all right. Why don't you go over one of these boards on my left or my right after service this morning and write down the name of somebody that, that is in your life that needs Jesus and let's just begin to pray for them and see what God will do. Maybe God will begin to open doors. Maybe God will begin to do a work. What if 75% of CPCers began to be active in the harvest field? Do you know how quickly we would see 500 people come to Jesus and 250 people be baptized in water and 125 people be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know how quick? We'll see it by Easter if we'd all be active. 
I want us to see 100 missionaries supported. We're up to 86, I think. I want to see us add those extra 15. I want to see us plant a Spanish-speaking church. I want to see us plant a Benton County church. I want to see us plant a church in Rossville. Why? Because there's people there who don't know Jesus. No matter how many other churches are around, there's always a high percentage that don't know Christ. I want to see us send a hundred people to do missions work around the world, maybe here in the States. I love every July how our youth does Project Third, and we send 40 or 50 of our teenagers locally to show people the love of God. I love that. I also want to see 20 or more individuals pursuing vocational ministry calling. See. Some of you, I'm not going to tell you who, but some of you, every time I talk to you, every time I talk to you, I hear the Holy Spirit say, there's a call in their life. There's a call in their life. I'm pretty careful about saying that to you because I don't want to get ahead of the Lord and I don't want to squash something. There's a few of you, I've said it to you. There's a number of you that I know every time I, every time I talk to you, for, I mean, we could be talking about the Packers and how bad they are. But in my soul, I hear the spirit of the Lord. So there's a call in that guy's life. Some of you in this room are sitting there and you know it in your soul, you know it. And some of you've chased other things and you've ran after those things and you've, you've chased other careers and other whatever, fill in the blank. You've done it not because you didn't want to answer the call. You didn't know how or you were scared or you weren't sure what that would look like. I can't tell you what it'll look like. I can't give you any guarantees. I can't promise you the outcome. All I can say is if you'll answer his call, if you'll answer his call, he'll be with you. That's really all I can promise. I can't promise more than that. I can promise if you go to the mission field, we will support you. I can promise that. But I know that God has sent me here to raise up a generation of men and women called by God. I know that. And if it's you, stop wasting your own time. Answer his call. Say yes to him, whatever he's saying. See, there's no greater adventure, no greater endeavor, no greater achievement than for a church to bring people the gospel of Jesus Christ by going ourselves or by sending others. We're gonna do both. What's the key? What's the key to new boundaries in our church? What's the key to advancing the kingdom of God in your personal life and for your future calling and your purposes? I got, I got two words for you and the first word is this, risk. The first word is risk. And what keeps you from advancing to new boundaries is an unwillingness to take risks. You're scared. You see, risk actually equals fear. And if you boil it down spiritually, an aversion to risk actually equals I don't trust God. Can I say that? I'm not throwing stones at you, I'm just telling you. For whatever reason, many people feel a call by God, and it's not even vocational ministry, it's other things in their life, to give like they've never given, to serve like they've never served, to do the things that God, to engage the harvest fields, and there's this fear, and here's the question that goes through our head, great, God, you want me to do X, you want me to give X, you want me to whatever, but what if you don't show up? What if, what if God doesn't 
fill in the blank? What if God doesn't provide what I need? What if God doesn't take care of my family? What if God doesn't replace my income? What if God doesn't? But here's the thing, God has always responded to people who are willing to risk for him. Willing to risk in obedience, willing to risk outside of our nice convenient life, risk because of him. And that brings me to my second word, risk or risk aversion is the first one. And I want you to think about that. But my second word is this, what it requires to expand our borders is faith. I mean, that's rocket science, isn't it? How many of you already knew I was gonna say faith? Like six of you. Oh good, that was new. It takes faith. But the Bible says faith can move mountains. It says faith can absolutely destroy the the things of the enemy. In fact, it's just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed faith that causes God to go, wow, I respect that, I respond to that, and I'm gonna move to the point of your need. Faith. While fear or risk aversion asks, what if God doesn't? Faith declares, I know God will. I know God will, and he will. So we gave all that money to the church, to the Kingdom Builders initiatives we were working on. I had made a deal with God a few years before that, that I would do my uh, master's degree, felt really led to do that. And I said, God, I'll do it, but you gotta pay for it, and it's $25,000. Remember how much money I told you I made was not much. <laughs> and I told the Lord, I said, God, well, I'll, I'll do it and I'll obey you and I'll even study hard and get good grades. Don't you wish your teenagers would say that to the Lord? And I did. I honored my side of the commitment. I may have mailed it in on one or two papers, but mostly I, I honored my commitment to the Lord. And so after we wrote this check and we gave this money to the church, it was about three months later, this was like in the, in the early summer, maybe May, and in October, we pulled into our driveway from vacation and, and you know, I had a big stack of mail like that, you know, like when you stop your mail, and I pulled in the driveway and I start opening the mail and just going through it, whatever, and I find this little envelope from some friends that we have and, and, uh, and, and I open the mail and inside this letter is a $35,000 check made out to me. I mean, after I picked myself up off the floor, I texted them or called them, I don't remember which, and I said, what is this? And they said, we just felt like the Lord said, we should give this to you. No strings attached. You wanna take your family on an incredible vacation? That would have been one spectacular vacation. Go for it. But I heard the Lord say to me, do you remember the promise you made? If you'll work hard at your master's, I'll pay for it. I wrote a check on Monday morning to pay off my school bill. We had money left over from that check that God allowed us to use to buy the house that we lived in for almost 15 years in Plainfield. And you go, oh, that's a nice story, Jeff. God provided awesome. That's nice. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. That one act of obedience not only led to those things, but a couple of years later, we found a couple of kids in Poland who needed adopted, and that bill was $50,000. God didn't give me 50, he gave me 35, and I spent it all. I had nothing left, we didn't have, again, pastors, we don't make a ton of money. And the Lord said to me, Jeff, you remember 
Well, let me back up. I'm sorry, this is a good story, so I'm gonna take the time to tell it. I was, um, we needed, we're, you know, adoption goes through phases where you have uh, bills due at different moments. And so we had our very first kind of large bill, about $3,000 due like the next week. And I'm like, man, God, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I don't know how we're gonna pay for it. I don't know what's gonna happen. And I had, once again, truck keys in my hand and I was getting ready to drive my, my car, my truck, to the front of my driveway and put a for sale sign in it so that I could pay that bill. I was willing to sacrifice so that God could do something incredible. I'm wa- I mean, I, I see it like it's today. I'm walking to the garage, my phone rings. I answer the phone, hey, it's one of my deacons. He's like, hey, we had told four people, four people in the world that we were gonna adopt these kids, four people. And he said, hey, the Lord is just speaking to Eve and I. We believe God has told us to give you $3,000. I put the keys back on the key ring and said, I ain't selling my truck this time. And I just, the Lord said to me in that moment, do you remember the first time you sold a truck and you obeyed me and gave it away? This is still that. That was the first 3,000, 47,000 more dollars came in. We didn't spend a penny of our income, of our own money, of any of it. God provided every dime. And all through along the way, 17 distinct miracles, which is a much longer sermon, I won't tell you today. Well, maybe we'll go one by one. No, we won't. 17 distinct miracles. And the Lord says to me, it all goes back to the one act of obedience. Fast forward, 2022. The market's horrible, the housing market. You can't, you can't even buy a house. Interest rates are going up like crazy. I said, Lord, we, we knew, we, we felt like we were coming here in December, in January. Lord, how are we gonna buy a house? I can't buy a house till they, they, they actually vote me in, right? That'd be silly. How are we gonna buy a house? It's like, don't worry about it. God, how are we gonna afford a house? Well, don't worry about it. We get to April, March, get voted in, whatever, we start looking at it. I just want you to know from that one act of obedience in 2008, our house appreciated so much that we were even able to buy a house in Lafayette. And I look at that and I go this, I go, look, one act of obedience led to hundreds of thousands of dollars of provision from the Lord. Why? Because I was willing to risk. Amy and I were willing to say yes to the offer of God to risk for his kingdom. And I believe it will pay dividend yet. God's been setting this church up for this moment in time. So many wonderful things have happened in this place, but what I sense from the Lord is now is a time of new boundaries and new harvest and new kingdom initiatives and new advancement all around the world. One of the ways, only one thing that we do, one way we're gonna fund this is through Kingdom Builders. And I mention it again, unashamedly, here's why, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9, Verse six, I'm gonna close with this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. If you, how many of you are farmers and you know, hey, if you only put a few seeds in the ground, you're not gonna get much out of that. But the one who plants generously will have a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart what to give. Don't do it reluctantly 
or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God, verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's a great word. So look, here's what I, what I want you to do. I want us to believe God for these impossible things. Prayer is gonna be our priority. People will be our purpose. His presence will be our pursuit. His mission will be our passion. And I will unashamedly live those four missional principles before you. And I will cause this church to do things based on those principles. I will lead this church towards those four things because I think what is unlocked in those four things is the passion and the belief and the kingdom of God in this place. I'll do it without hesitation. What I'm asking you to do right now is to be with me on the journey. But number two, I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to commit something to kingdom builders. I'm asking everybody in our church, every family in our church, you're like, we don't do that. I don't, I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to, to do it as part of the faith process and part of the unity process of our church. I'm asking everybody to do something. I'm not gonna talk you into it. I'm not gonna pressure you. I will love you the same if you give or don't give to it. I'm just asking you, I'm offering you the chance to be part of something incredible. And it's up to you. You do what God puts in your heart to do. You do what the Lord says. I'm just simply saying, can you do something? Can you do something so that missionaries are supported, churches are planted, our food pantry is provided for, our Spanish-speaking church is, is launched, our youth and our young adults experience the kingdom of God in other nations? Can I ask you to participate with us? I want you to know, just... I want you to know our staff and our deacons believe in this. They believe in it so much so that out of the 225,000 we're asking to raise from inside us, from extra, extra giving on top of our tithe and offering, over 70,000 has already been committed just by our staff and our deacons. That's 11 families, 11 families have already said, we believe in this to $70,000. The rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. Would you stand with me all over the room? I wanna ask you to prayerfully consider what God would have you do. I wanna ask you to prayerfully consider these four missional points, the things that God has for you. Some of you, I think the word for you, get active, activate yourself, activate that engine that's a little bit stagnant. What does God have for you? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have the worship team sing a song. You can bring this commitment card and lay it across this altar as a consecration moment to the Lord. You can drop it in the black receptacles out the door as you head out the door. Whatever you're comfortable with, you're welcome to do it. You can bring it next week. If you don't want to do it today, great, do it next week or the week after. I plan to announce the total commitment sometime in December. So if you want to do it that way, that's great. I, I trust the Lord will speak to your heart. So right now, what I want you to do, I'm going to pray a prayer and then our worship team's going to sing. Would you ask the Lord what he wants you to do to answer the call of God around the world here at home for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every person in this room, for every family represented by this church, though, whether here or not here. Lord, I'm asking you right now to speak clearly to our heart. 
Lord, we want prayer to be our priority. That's gonna be important, God. The people and the presence of God and the mission of God, those things are paramount, God. They're paramount to us. This is secondary. Giving is secondary to those things. But Lord, you've chosen to provide through us. So Lord, I pray right now, just simply this, that you would move on every heart. I'm not, I don't want to coerce anyone. I don't want to talk anybody into it. I want the Holy Spirit. You speak to their heart, and I challenge them to obey you, even if it doesn't make sense. Help us, Lord, I pray. Speak clearly to each family and to each heart that we could participate in the powerful generosity that you are, the great generosity that you are. Your promise is to provide seed to the sower. Our responsibility is to sow the seed you provide. So help us with that, I pray in Jesus' name.